This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. So let's stand and read John chapter 15, verses 26 through 16, verses 4. John 15, 26 through 16, 4. It's the word of the Lord. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for um, just what you offer us in a commitment to us that you say truth to us to ensure and to keep us from falling away. That there is a power in your word and there is a power in your truth that anchors us to your plan, to your purpose, and to your will. And God, we just want to celebrate that. Father, we pray um, that you teach us how to display a satisfaction in you when our circumstances say otherwise. We pray that you teach us how to declare a a trust and a promise and a joy in you when our suffering or our trials might tell us to take a day or a moment off. And God, most importantly, we pray for your spirit to remind us of the things of Christ that anchors our soul, that holds us fast, that keeps us strong, and that moves us to endure in the power of the gospel. Jesus, teach us those things today by the power of your spirit. In your holy and precious name, amen. You guys can be seated. So we're going to dive right into this. Um, I'm going to go ahead and kind of show my hand a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit at the front end. This is not the first time this subject is coming up. In Jesus' teaching through John 14, 15, and certainly not going to be the last time we talk about it. These are really important chapters. It's, it's good to know. Like we, I don't know if some of you guys have ever practiced uh, memorizing Scripture or even just a recognition of where things are in the Bible. I know that we, there, there's been a, a big push, certainly among our children's ministry, which, you know, I, I, we've said this before, I'll say it again. Like the opportunity to serve within our kids is, is not just punching the clock for babysitting hour, okay? It's not. Like the opportunity to serve with our children's ministry is, is literally doing mission work. <laughs> and honestly, you'll find out that you're the mission a lot of times. Like they teach us things or me things about, they know more scripture at age five than I knew at probably age 25. You know, like it's unbelievable the, the retention and the way that, they're, that, that our teachers and the vision of our children's ministry to start to massage the truth of the word of God into their hearts at such a young age. Um, but if you're familiar with, with things like fighter verses to, to, to hold on to memory or, or maybe there's different like apps or, or, or things you've gone through to, to know and to realize where things are in scripture, I just want to take a moment and encourage you in that, but also want to give you some insight. Like through the scriptures, there are places where, you know, if you're, if you're a, a, a Rolodex, it's like, okay, if the love chapter, anybody know? 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, 13, good. Like the, the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter, anybody? 11. Okay, you know, like there are these chapters. That, there's a lot of chapters of life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Probably the most notable, Romans chapter 8. 
um, life in the spirit. Like these are good things to know of, of man, if I, if I really want some reference on this, these are some places I'm going to head. If, if you're looking for really the foundation of the mission movement of God, go read the Acts. It's the, we all, our Bibles just say Acts, but the shortened verse version of the Acts of the Apostles. Like, go hang out in the Acts and read the, the movement of the Spirit of God as he planted the church throughout the New Testament. Or, or if you're looking for kind of a treatise on joy, you'll be hard-pressed to find a book that's more about that than the book of Philippians. But if you're looking for Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit, John 14, 15, and 16 need to be your first line of defense. He talks about, I mean, granted, our theology suggests that like my Bible has literal red letters. Some of you guys do too, I presume. But what I believe is true about the word of God is that the authors or the, or the publishers might have thought they were helping us in making the parts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and a little bit of Acts in red letters. The reality is we believe all of it's red letters. We believe that the same spirit that spoke it through the person, physical person of Jesus, spoke it through the Lord throughout the entirety of, of the revealed scriptures. And so we think they're all equally authoritative but it is interesting that Jesus takes this moment, 14, 15, and 16, to teach on the Holy Spirit really in depth about what it means for this helper to come, what it means for this helper to empower us, what we can look forward to, and what his roles are as the Spirit of God. And so I'm just going to take a moment and say that the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about three things here in John 15, 26, and 27. The first and foremost is he is not some like hocus pocus thing that's just you know, this Christian mythology drawn out of air, like, no, his origin, what's it say in verse 26? His origin, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from whom? The Father. That the Holy Spirit comes from the Father. Like, there's this beautiful Trinitarian moment right here. Now, the word Trinity, you've probably heard a lot. You've probably seen churches named like Trinity Christian or Trinity Baptist. You might have gone to a school with Trinity in the name. Like, if you went to a Christian academy or something, you might have seen the word Trinity a lot. You will never find that word in the Bible. So it's like, wait a minute, that's kind of odd. Why, what, what is that? The Trinity is a doctrine that was, was rose out of our understanding and interpretation and application of the word of God. And there's tons and tons of resources and tons and tons of references to the community of God as one being, but three distinct persons and three distinct roles. And you see that clearly here in John 15, 26. You have Jesus, the son, communicating about a spirit his spirit that exists in origin from the Father. So you see Father, Son, Holy Spirit all right here. It's a great Trinitarian moment in the text. His origin is he's from the Father. What's his character? Check that out. What's his character? I will send you the, the Father, the Spirit from the Father, the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit's character is always truthful. You never have to doubt if the Holy Spirit is leading you to a place that could be a maybe or a might or certainly not an untruth. He's always going to lead you to truth. And the way that we do that is his behavior is the way that he leads us to truth is that his behavior is one that's committed always to bearing witness about Jesus. And we don't use that term bearing witness very often in our Society, I've never, I've never really told someone, I'm just bearing witness today. It's just, he's, he's testifying. He's, he's offering a, a, a statement. You know, if you, if you went down to, if you had to go give a confessional statement or, or stand in a court trial somewhere and you would stand on a, on a platform and a judge or, 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 or bailiff would, would ask you to hold your hand up and to repeat after them and to say, you know, everything I'm going to say is truthful, you know, 
I, I swear on my heart or on the Lord or, or whatever, different places have different things, that I'm going to bear a true witness. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's always bearing witness. And if we were to read on, as Jesus continues to unpack the work of the Holy Spirit, you would read that the way he bears witness is to remind us of the things of Christ. Always remind us of the things of Christ. So his behavior is a, is a behavior that is a reminding behavior. So what's this mean for us? This means for us to start off this passage that this spirit who originated from the Father, whose character is always truthful, who bears witness and reminds us of the things of Christ, this spirit invites us to also bear witness. That's verse 27. And this passage promises us that we are not in this endeavor alone of bearing witness about Christ. The Spirit is the one who is sent to do the work, but Jesus' clear implication is that he, the Holy Spirit, becomes Jesus' replacement in the world. It actually says later on, if we were to read down in, in chapter 16, we'll get to it next year. That's like the old, you know, I'm not trying to do the dad joke there of like, haha, see you next year, you know, like, right? <laughs> Literally, we'll get to it in January. Um, Jesus says, it's actually to your advantage. For those of you that follow me, it's actually to your advantage that I go away and that the Spirit come because I've only been with you, but the Spirit's going to be in you. That's going to be a great advantage that you're going to recognize. So it's Jesus' clear implication that he, the Holy Spirit, as Christ's replacement in the world, intends to do through those who have been with Christ. He intends to proclaim and, and, and showcase obedience and do work through us. I think I have on the screen... The Spirit's the one sent to do the work and intends to use us. So we're not alone in that. That's really a great starting point. And it's funny because all throughout John 14, he talked about this, like not being left as orphans. The helper's going to come. And then he doesn't, he comes back for more as we continue to get into John 16 about the importance of the Holy Spirit living in us to, to, be, to make us missionaries into the world. And I, and I know we're going to get to John 17 eventually. We're going to camp out in John 17 and talk about what it means to be sent people. But I just want to remind you, you're a missionary in the world if you're a follower of Jesus, not because you know a lot of Bible, not because you're great at contextualizing, not because you're a, a chief or a leader in hospitality. You're a missionary into the world that you live in because the Holy Spirit is in you. That's what makes you the missionary. Not your knowledge of the scriptures, but the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in you. Everywhere you go, you go on purpose. You recognize that? Everywhere you go, you go on purpose. He doesn't intend you to go anywhere that you don't go fully empowered, walking in the Spirit, to be able to be that witness of declaration and proclamation of who Christ is and what he's done in you. So everywhere you go, you go on mission. And Jesus is, is really like establishing this because he changes tones. In, verse, in the next verse coming up. Notice that he says in verse 16, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. We're going to spend a lot of time there. And then he talks about why they might fall away. They will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Now, Kurt, last week in our Sunday morning and last, last Sunday night, both, both of those services spent some time talking about kind of the state of persecution and the state of opposition to our faith in the world today. I wasn't here last Sunday. I was really sad to have missed that. I got to go back and, and celebrate um, what Commonwealth City Church, what God has been up to at Commonwealth City Church at our mother church, um, Hope Community Church in Frankfort, Kentucky. And then I got to see baptisms via video and, and photos. So, which by the way, 
Becca and Jagger and Michael, like, thank you guys for walking in obedience and proclamation and declaration of what God has done in you um, with obedience to baptism. I celebrated from afar, but it was awesome to see that displayed. And, and um, so just wanted to give you a quick little, a little shout out and give the Lord some praise for that. But, but there's, we talked about last week, these, these moments of opposition and these moments of persecution. And Jesus kind of continues this, this sentiment. He says, they're going to throw you out of the synagogues. In fact, they're going to try to kill you and think they're serving God. You know, now we could get on a rant or, or get on a, a, a you know, chase, chase a rabbit on maybe the future implications of us being a persecuted state here in the United States. That's, that's totally possible. I could direct the rest of the talk or the rest of the sermon to that. And, and, you know, we might elicit a lot of either like pep talk, like let's go team, or a lot of fear or somewhere in between. What I would rather tell you is that most of the persecution you face is going to be people opposing Christianity from a place that, what they, that they believe what they're doing is right. They believe what they're doing is right. Like the, the, some of the hot topic conversations in our world today are not from a place that the opposition doesn't believe what they're doing is right. And if we're not careful, we'll fall into this trap where someone will say to you, when it comes to your belief, what's important is that it's sincere. Have you ever heard that? What's important is the sincerity of you, your belief. Well, friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, the sincerity of your belief is not important. The fact that it's belief in Christ is what's important. The fact that it's founded on truth is what's important. The fact that it's founded on authoritative word is what's important. Not just that it's sincere. There's, sincere. There's going to be tons of oppositional attitudes and beliefs and mindsets and worldviews and perspectives, whether they are steeped from another religion or steeped from an inclusivity or steeped from a feeling or steeped from an emotion, they're all going to be sincere. Sincerity is not important. Jesus is important. And that's what he's saying, that his words, his words hold the power to keep us from falling away. It's Christmas time. We're starting to watch Christmas movies. Anybody binged on Christmas movies yet? Okay, right on. You know, like I know I've got my, you know, RIP friends in the office going away from Netflix soon. You know, I know that's happening. So I've got to get all my, all my friends' Christmas episodes together. I'll go ahead and end the argument. Um, you might have a lot of opinions on the best Christmas movies in the world. The right answer is It's a Wonderful Life. And we can talk about that later. That's the right answer. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. There, there's tons of debate and there's tons of freedom. You know, Kurt's out there probably... Um, arguing that you shouldn't listen to me and that Elf's the best mo Christmas movie. But it's also easy when you're like the life-size edition of Buddy the Elf, which is Kurt, you know? <laughs> so he's perpetually that. You know, I feel like he and I need to take a picture where, you know how Buddy the Elf sits on the, his dad's lap? You know, it's like that's Kurt with a normal-sized human, just <laughs> Buddy the Elf, yeah. Um, but one of my favorite Christmas movies as a kid to this day is the saga of Kevin McAllister, Home Alone, right? <laughs> and one of the reasons that I love it so much is because when I was watching it growing up, I was, you know, like there's a lot, we watch it now and it's like, wow, Kevin's parents were insane. You know, like, <laughs> what? Or, or like, why didn't Kevin just go to a friend's house, you know, or something like that? And so there's tons of places where, where maybe some of the continuity tends to fall apart when we watch it now. But but I remember watching it as a child and thinking to myself, like my takeaway from the movie after watching Home Alone, for those of you that haven't seen Home Alone, 
I don't even know what to say to you. <laughs> you know, go, like, repent. I'm just <laughs> find it somewhere and watch it. But I remember watching Home Alone as a child, and, and you know, for some people, maybe the feel-good is, is the, the redemption and the, and the reconnection with his family. When I watched Home Alone, I immediately went and started to draw out a plan for my house, lest it be invaded. You know, like, <laughs> what things could I use? Where could I, you know, set up traps and set up ensnarements in my house? You know, and like, can I start to do this? And I, I had like a little working folder of what would I do, almost to the point of like, I was trying to be left home alone and trying to bait people to come to my house to take their best shot, you know, because I had this plan ready. And, and we love stories or movies that have a good plan. You know, we love them. We love stories and movies that have this, you know, well thought out strategic schematic. I can think of like Ocean's 11 or 12 or 13 or 8. You know, like I think of all those as, as movies that have a great plan to them and as it starts to be revealed. And if you're like me, you're trying to jump to the conclusions of what you think the plan is as, as it goes through. But, and so I think these disciples, if I was in this moment, I would have thought to myself when Jesus says, they're going to come, he's, he's already painted the picture of the hatred of the world. They're going to come and throw you out of the synagogue and they're going to offer you as a sacrifice to their God. And I would be thinking, okay, Jesus, what's the plan then? You know what his plan is? To remain faithful. What? Like, what about paint cans and hot doorknobs? Like, that sounds way more attractive to me. You know, or what about booby traps and all this stuff like that sounds way more attractive to me. What about all these, this, these steps that we could go to, to be ready to take on the world that's trying to kill us that we might overcome. And he says, do you want to know how you overcome? You don't fall away. You remain faithful. We become witnesses to the world by displaying a satisfaction in Christ in spite of the hardship of our circumstances. That's the plan that we become witnesses to the world by displaying a, how we treasure and cherish the things of Christ in spite of the circumstances of our sufferings or our successes. That at the moment of your, at your most success, I hope you don't love Jesus more than the moment that's the hardest and the most difficult and that you're admired in the most suffering. I hope that there's a balance that Jesus stays treasurable and, cher and, and worth, tre or worth cherishing regardless of circumstance. And so to ensure this, to invite us into this faithful plan, he gives us a gift. So Merry Christmas, you get a gift. The Holy Spirit becomes that gift. He says, I'm giving you a gift. I'm giving you a helper. I'm giving you one that's committed to your life, committed to your future, perpetually witness and remind you of the things of Christ. And in fact, he will sow truth and massage truth into your heart. So Merry Christmas, the Holy Spirit is an incredible gift. Now, how is he incredible? This is a great this would be a great question just for you to, to investigate on your own outside of the time that we've committed to talk about this today. So if you want some great take-home homework, spend some devotional time this week asking the question, why is the Holy Spirit an incredible gift to me? And I promise you will not, at the end of that pursuit, you will not walk away discouraged. It's a great, it will be a great investigation through the scriptures for you to see the promises that the Holy Spirit invites you into. For me, that one, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, cheat, a cheat. For me, that one is through this passage of Scripture, 14, 15, and 16 of John, chapters 14, 15, and 16. The word used in the Greek for the Holy Spirit is the word paraclete, parakletos. 
And, and it means the helper, but in some con- cases it means the counselor or the advocate. Now, when you hear the word counselor, you might think of the guidance variety, or you might think of the therapist variety. When the Bible mentions the word counselor as being a synonym for the Holy Spirit, it means of the legal variety. As in this phrase, you might have heard this. Hopefully not from the setting, but you may just be aware. (laughs) Counselor, please approach the bench. You ever heard a judge use that phrase? Got some law students in the room nodding their head. They know that phrase. Counselor, please approach the bench. Now, why is that an important recognition to understand Jesus or the Holy Spirit as a counselor for us or as an advocate for us? I don't know if you've ever been in a courtroom, but in a courtroom, there's a judge, there's a jury, there's a defendant, and there's a prosecution. And in fact, throughout the New Testament, when we talk about the role of the enemy in our life, it would be most synonymous as an adversarial prosecutor. He knows the places that we're guilty. And in this, invite your mind to, I love, since we mentioned Home Alone and Christmas movies, I also love legal movies. Like, there's some of my favorite movies to watch. I just get all fired up about justice and, and you know, right, right things being ha- happening. And so I can talk for days about my favorite legal movies, like 12 Angry Men. That's a, that's a classic one, way old school, black and white. Check it out. It's great. But I love that courtroom drama, that courtroom setting. And imagine, if you will, you being a defendant. And guess what? You're the, you're the worst kind of defendant. You want to know why? Because you're guilty of a lot of stuff. You're guilty of a lot of stuff, unless, unless the record that's held against you is exchanged for someone, something, some other record. Like if I were to go out here and get a speeding ticket, like I might be able to, which hopefully I don't, but I, I might be able to argue my way out of it, maybe get traffic school as a replacement for a, a traffic violation or a speeding violation. You know, and I might even, maybe, maybe, maybe it's December, maybe it's a, a generous time of year and the judge or, or the or the police officer actually says, you know what, I, I know I wrote that citation for you, but I'm just going to, let's just crumple that thing up and throw it away. When it comes to my sin and your sin, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not that God, the judge, looked on us and said, you know what, eh, you didn't really know better. Let's just crumple. I'm generous. I'm benevolent. I'm, I'm you know, gracious. Let's just crumple that up and throw it away. He doesn't do that. Sin is always fully paid for always fully paid for. And so what we have to recognize is that if we're not the ones paying for our sin, per our understanding of the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we're not the ones paying for it, someone is. God, the judge, didn't wave a magic wand over the courtroom of humanity and say, I just think they need to be forgiven. God said, someone's paying. If your speeding ticket is $110, The only way for you to get out of it is for $110 to be paid, right? Does that make sense? If the consequence for the sin that we've done against the holy God comes due, the only way that we get out of it, as the Bible would say, is that we pay it in the form of death. The wages of sin, the consequences of sin are death. That's Romans chapter 6. And so when it comes to my life and yours, a death has to happen. To pay for the sin in our life. But the good news of Jesus is that we have someone that took death for us. And so 
on the record of Jesus, like if he's the next case to be tried, his file folder is enormous. And mine has a blank sheet of paper in it that represents all the sins that he's committed. Does that make sense? You with me? Tracking? And so when I hear the Holy Spirit as a counselor, as an advocate, he's your defense attorney in the setting. All metaphors fall apart if you pick out them hard enough. So give me some grace on that. But he's your defense attorney that's saying, actually, judge, um, which is himself in the weird metaphoric way, <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Actually, judge, um, his record's been paid for. And he constantly reminds you of that. He constantly reminds you of that. So when, when you hear the term advocate, like anytime you think you carry guilt and shame, there's a Holy Spirit, an advocate, a counselor, a helper that would like to remind you, hey, bro, that's been paid for. You don't have to walk in that. Hey, bro, that's been paid for. You don't have to walk in that. Hey, bro, that's been paid for. Or sis, you don't have to walk in that. You don't have to walk in that. You don't have to walk in that. That's been paid for. There's no double jeopardy for you if you're down with the legal term. That's been paid for. You don't get retried. That's been paid for. That's an, that makes the Holy Spirit an incredible gift. I don't know what ways that you would see him as an incredible gift for your life, but as somebody that I know that I am fully aware of the places that I fall short and that I struggle and that I mess up and that I stumble, the Holy Spirit as a gift to me means that he's a voice, an advocate, and a counselor that reminds me that the prosecution can't get loud, louder than my defense in the person and work of Jesus and Christ can be declaratively for me. That makes sense? Not only an incredible gift, he's a necessary gift. I have a newfound respect for getting socks at Christmas now. You know, they used to be what you hated growing up, but now it's like, no, I kind of need socks. You know, like, <laughs> I kind of need deodorant. You know, like, these things are important. Like, I go, I go home, I even now when I go home, my mom still has like a stocking or whatever full of stuff, and or the stocking happens to be left there, regardless of how you think it might have gotten there, just to keep that completely open to anyone in the room. Um, and the stocking is full with like toothpaste, you know, and, and ironically candy. So I'm not sure if that balances each other out. Like toothpaste and deodorant and stuff, and completely necessary items. And I have a newfound respect for those things in my adulthood that I didn't in my childhood. But the Holy Spirit is a necessary gift. And you want to know Why? Because falling away is easier than you think. Falling away is easier than you think. Hebrews, we walked through that book together. Hebrews would often use the vocabulary, pay attention lest you drift. Drifting is never a good thing. Lest you drift, lest you fall away. Now, to be fair, I want to offer you this. We've, we've journeyed through this throughout most of John. When I say falling away is easier than you think, I don't think he means about your personal salvation. I would argue here that Jesus is instructing them to not fall away, not from what they've been saved from, which is that courtroom moment, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation, no death, no penalty of my sin due to me because of the exchange of Jesus' righteousness for my sin, my sin for his righteousness. Because of that, been saved from those things by professing a faith and a belief in Christ. So it wouldn't be my personal salvation, it's actually the work of the, of the, of the Son, Jesus. But we might fall away from what we've been saved, not from, but for. We might miss what we've been saved for. We might miss joining Jesus in the newness of life for the things that he desires to continue to produce in and through us. That's why the Holy Spirit is a necessary gift, because falling away is easier than we think. There's a risk that we might not join 
in what Christ has done, is doing, and is committed to do in and through us. And one of the ways that we would showcase this is the concept of maybe. It's the concept of maybe. You ever look at your circumstance and, you know, you maybe you're hanging out with Christians or hanging out with people that are, that are reminding you of the things of Christ. And, and you look at your circumstance and it's, it's hard. It's difficult. It's trying. It's, it's a season of suffering or tribulation. And you think, well, I don't know how, I don't know how God's going to turn this for good. Maybe he will. Or maybe he can take my life. Maybe he can take the mistakes I've made. He, he might use me. He might have a plan for me. He might still have a purpose for me. But I feel like I might have disqualified it. I feel like I might have ruined it. I feel like, I, I feel like that applies to everybody else that's a little more spiritual or a little more committed or read a little more Bible or prayed a little more than me. I think they live in way more certainty of God using them. But I think I'm just left with the option of maybe. Could you imagine being a disciple here in a few hours and seeing Jesus on the cross? What you would have thought, you know what I would have thought as a disciple seeing Jesus on the cross in a few hours from this moment? I would have thought, well, there's no way God uses this for good. Like, this is the worst day in the world. What do we know about the cross now? It's actually not the worst day in the world. It was the what? The best day in the world. Like, so sometimes our perspective is in need of repentance and in need of alignment with the fathers, in need of alignment with the Lord's. But if you're a person that lands on maybe, maybe I could be used Maybe God could redeem this. Maybe God's not done with me yet. Maybe God still has a way. Maybe God still has a plan. Then maybe is a symptom of one that might be falling away. Because for those of us that are in Christ, maybe is not an option. I have really good news. For those of us that are in Christ, anchored to Jesus, maybe isn't an option. Now, we can still choose to believe and participate, yes, but the completion of his work in us is not optional. It's guaranteed. And I want to invite you as we journey on to the next slide. The very first thing he says, and this is where I camped out most of this week. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. I asked a lot of friends this week, and what are some things that you've anchored your heart to when it would have been easy to fall away? It's been awesome to hear those encouragements. It's been awesome to hear those testimonies of the way that the Lord used his word. The Lord used the reminder of Jesus to anchor our souls in the midst of our deepest anxiety, our deepest struggling, our deepest failure, our deepest worries, our deepest fears, our deepest depressions that invited us to hold fast and not fall away. And as I thought about that, I went to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And we're going to unpack this, and this is going to be how, how we kind of conclude today. This is not in John, but I think that it runs parallel with this exact same sentiment of believe these words, keep these words. I say these words to you so that you don't fall away. So Philippians 1, 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Now let's unpack that a moment. First of all, Paul says, I am sure of this. The Holy Spirit through Paul says, I am sure of this. This is a place of certainty for him. If you were to actually dive in and look at that word in the Greek language, the word would be, the, the word is synonymous. It's used throughout scripture as being confident or being sure or being certain. But in the actual vocabulary of the language, the word would have been what they used instead of the word tranquilizer. Isn't that awesome? Think of what your anxiety needs. It needs a tranquilizer. <laughs> Think of what your worry needs, what your doubt needs. It needs a tranquilizer. 
And, and, and that's the word that Paul uses here. I, this, I'm so sure of this that it tranquilizes any of my fears or worries or concerns or doubts. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Now, the first thing we have to ask ourselves as we unpack this, well, I'm going to actually start at the end. We know that it's heading towards a day of, of anticipatory return of Jesus, the Maranatha, come Lord Jesus moment. We know that we're heading there. In fact, all of our Advent season is not so that we can anticipate the birth of Christ, so that we can anticipate the return of Jesus. That's the reason we practice Advent. And so we know where we're heading. We know what we're sure of. So what do we do with the in-between? He who began a good work will bring it to completion. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So the first question would be, what is the good work that's, been, that's began in you or begun in you? What is the good work that he started in you? What has he done? And I hope when we have our membership interviews, we always ask that question. Why is the gospel good news to you? What is the good work that has begun in you? What has he been responsible for? What has he invited your heart to believe? What has he opened your eyes to see? What light has he brought you into? And out of what darkness have you come? What death have you left behind? And what resurrection are you living in? What is the good work that he's begun in you? And if you, if, you've, if you flipped your Bible to this page and you're down with underlining or circling things, I love the two words, in you. Because I think so many times when we look at the work of Jesus, we look from where we are historically backwards. And I see the work of the cross as something done for me as opposed to something done in me. And this passage tells me that the work of the cross and the work of the erection were not just things done for you. They were things done in you. Friends, that is really good news. That it's done in you. This gospel, this good work has been done in you. Do you know what we would call that? We call that your calling. Sometimes we think the word calling is this like far off, real specific, have to hear it at a conference or mired in like 17 consecutive hours of prayer to know exactly what we're going to do. But, but calling doesn't mean vocation. Calling would mean journey, or calling would mean like, like the movement. So, so in John chapter 10, when Jesus says, all my sheep, they know my voice because I call them. Well, don't you think the sheep respond to a calling? Or in, earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that no one comes to me unless the Father calls them or draws them. And so I would offer you the recognition that this work that's been done to you is your calling. Maybe not calling to like vocational ministry on another continent. And I do believe that you do get direction on that, okay? I don't want to act like that doesn't happen. I do think God does clearly, I mean, he did so through the, through the acts in the New Testament, clearly moves and directs and guides path. We know that to be true. But I would ask you to lower the bar on calling and view it more as your calling to Jesus and less of your calling to a specific vocational or lifestyle end. You with me? Which means that this is not just reserved for the missionaries. This is not just reserved for the pastors. This is not just reserved for the people that are on staff at CSF or BCM. This is reserved for anyone that's in Christ. This good work in you, he will bring to completion. Now, what is that good work? Sanctification or salvation is what we're saved from. Sanctification is what we're saved for. 
Those are the good works. What has he done? He's done it in you. And that calling, I would, I would ask you to say this. A lot of times we say, I have a calling on my life. Let's change the vocabulary. I don't want to view your life as somebody that, I don't want you to view yourself as something that God might have a calling on as much as it is a calling of. He's going to have a calling of your life in a tons of different directions. He's going to call your life into marriage. He's going to call your life into parenthood. He's going to call your life into obedience. He's going to call your life into radically and hospitably loving your neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates and your family. He's going to be calling. He's got a calling of you, probably more that he's got a calling on you. Okay. And so do we have confidence that he will complete it? What's the good work begun in us? And do we have confidence that he will complete it? For you to make it to the end, for us to make it to the end, I don't want to look back just at the historic moment that we received Christ. For, for Becca and for Michael and for Jagger, who were baptized last week, for them to make it to the end, for them to endure, for them to not fall away, I don't want them to look back at December the 8th as the moment. I want them to look up every day at the Christ that's with them and for them and ultimately through the promise we have of this text, in them. I want them to live and I want you to live and I want myself to live in a confidence of a consistent presence with Jesus, not a historic, I made this decision for him once and I hope that's good enough to get me to the end but rather a he's committed to us. He gave us a helper. It's an incredible gift. It's a necessary gift. He knows that there's going to be a day and an hour when we're going to easily fall away if we lose sight of what we've been given. And in fact, just in case we think that maybe it's an option for us, he'd like to remind us that he's sure of this, that he who began that work, that calling in us will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Do you have confidence he will complete it? Well, the only way you can is not by looking back at a moment in history, but by looking up at a moment in the presence of a God that's Emmanuel with us every step along the way. And his spirit reminding you of the things he's done historically that affect the way that you do things presently. And then the last verse I would invite you to, as I have had moments in my life that holding faithful or remaining faithful or not falling away have seemed like an option, or falling away has seemed like an option. I've continually gone to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In fact, I got to share this with a friend um, recently, uh, hopeful encouragement to her. And even as I did that, I was reminded of it from my own heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it's a little bit of a mashup. It's verse 1, also verses 8 and 9 together. It's the same sentiment. I just cut out seven of the, seven of the median verses in between. But it says this, therefore, having this ministry, what's this ministry? It's our calling. It's the calling of our lives, the work he's begun in us that's true of every believer. Having this ministry, this witness, as the Holy Spirit would say, we're, he bears witness, we bear witness. Having this ministry, having this witness, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Anybody ever lose heart in their spiritual walk? I do. I don't need a show of hands. I'll give you mine. I do. There are moments that are hard. There are moments that are frustrating. There are moments that I'm, that I'm not convinced will turn out for good. There are moments that are weary. There are moments that are difficult. There are moments that are, I'm emotionally on zero, empty. And so when I read this phrase, therefore having this ministry, having this work done in you, as Philippians would say, 
By the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, I want to listen to this one. Because I know I have a tendency to be in seasons where I might lose heart. I keep praying for them. They don't respond. I keep hoping for the healing. They die anyway. I keep begging for, re- for redemption and reconciliation in my family, but divorce is, is where everything heads. I lose heart. And it says this, verse 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. The title of this text is called The Banner of But Not. And what I want to offer you as one of the, for me, I mentioned earlier, what's the incredible gifts of the Holy Spirit? One of them for me, I I didn't say it then because I wanted to say it now, is the Holy Spirit is a banner of but not over my life and yours. You know what you can guarantee? You can guarantee affliction. You can guarantee being perplexed. You can guarantee um, being persecuted. And you can guarantee being struck down. But you know what the Holy Spirit also guarantees? But you won't be crushed. (laughs) But you won't be driven to despair. But you won't be ever forsaken. Emmanuel, God with us. But you won't be destroyed. And so as I read 2 Corinthians 4, in light of this promise in chapter 16, verse 1, I say these things to you to keep you from falling away. I feel like to come alongside, how does the Holy Spirit do that in my life? I say these things to you to keep you from falling away. It's like you're going to probably tune in and watch the Christmas parade next week. It's like Jesus or the Holy Spirit has a life-size, like a New York-sized blow-up that just says, but not on it over my life. Andrew, you're going to be have trouble, but not crushed or driven to despair, or struck down, or destroyed. In fact, he would say in chapter 16 that he's actually overcome all of those things, and that's what our hope, and that's what our promise, and that's what our joy, and that's what our peace, and that's what our love, and and all those things get to depend on is the reality that there's a banner of but not over the life of every believer. Afflicted, sure, but not crushed. Perplexed, if you've not been perplexed yet following Jesus, well, then call me when, you, when it happens. Maybe this week. Perplexed, but guess what? Not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's for me what it looks like to heed the words, I say these things to you to keep you from falling away. And so three questions for you as we close out. And then we'll, let me pray over us. Three questions. What good work has he begun in you? And that's just a great place to start with an attitude of gratefulness. What good work has he begun in you? What has he done? What does the cross and the resurrection mean for you? And I don't mean historically. I mean transformationally. What does it mean for you right now? What does the courtroom look like that you were once in, but now you walk out from completely free and exonerated and with a clean record? What does that look like? What good work has he begun in you? What is he saying to you to keep you from falling away? Maybe you're on the same page with me, and it's but not. Maybe it's something else in Scripture that he would remind you of. What does he say to you to keep you from falling away in the hard times, in the difficult seasons, to provide joy for your life? It's our Advent week of joy. To provide joy for your life, what does he say to keep you from falling away? And then how is he inviting you to remain faithful? I'm going to give you an answer to that one. Not alone. He's never inviting you to remain faithful alone. So how is he inviting you to remain faithful 
in the context of community and relationships that you already live in. So as we close out and come to this altar for prayer or come and receive communion and take, eat, and remember his body and blood broken and shed for us, remember his good work that he's begun in us. Ask him what he would say to you to keep you from falling away. And then what's the step of obedience in how you hold fast or remain faithful? Consider these things and come take, eat, and remember and take, eat, and participate in the kingdom of God.